Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We have a presentation for you this week on the adult stages of separation, i.e. the adult stages of development. Stages we need to go through, stages we need to work through if we're going to grow into who we ultimately need to be. Oftentimes when we get stuck in life, it's because we're putting all of our libidinal energy at the wrong place. We need to work on more fundamental issues first, and then whatever problem that we think we have in our life will work itself out. And adult stages of separation or development will show us this. I I know I've talked about this in previous presentations, in previous videos, but I just want to put it all into one definitive one definitive presentation. Plus, I think there's some vagaries in, in my previous uh, presentation of this information that I want to clear up. One of them being, how is separation, how is that precisely development? We will talk about it. <clears throat> so we do free consultations. AnimusEmpire.com slash schedule an outline for today. Context for this discussion. And then we're going to go through all six stages Parent separation, work, friends, sexuality, relationships, generativity, and then a concluding remark. First, to context, define our terms. What are we even talking about? So the foundational idea that I talk about here on this channel through Animus is emotional diagrams, how we process emotion based on what those emotional diagrams are, and then Once we do that enough, we develop a loop, a pattern, an unconscious pattern that we have engaged with, that that we have engaged with, that leads to symptoms in our life. So you think you have a problem with your mother-in-law, and you do. You're not wrong about that. I'm not trying to gaslight you about that. That problem with your mother-in-law indeed exists, but there is an issue with you. There is a way that you dysregulate emotions so when your mother-in-law show, shows up in her life and has what other, uh, whatever problem she has, you are going to latch onto that and it's going to be an even bigger problem than it would have been otherwise. Right? All the problems in your life stem from or at least are aggravated by an unconscious sleep that you have that leads to your symptoms. And we figured this out by first understanding how emotions work through the emotional diagrams. And this shows us how to process emotions. And this leads us to our loop when you do that in a healthy way. That's effectively what you do if you want to do therapy with me. So that's my foundational idea. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to put these adult stages of development in in context of other things that I talk about. So yeah, the the emotion diagrams, essentially what I just said is the emotional diagrams, how we process at the loop. This is how we orient ourselves so we can, so we can begin to move. We gain, it, at the very least, a conceptual understanding. And whatever we don't get, or we only get conceptually and not emotionally, we're able to work through those issues. That's what processing is, processing emotional issues, becoming more aware of our emotional issues. So we can at least get moving. The emotional diagram shows how to do this. But two ancillary ideas are functions and archetypes. So functions, you know, just the, your whatever your Myers-Briggs is. And, you know, I, I've, I've made a bunch of videos, I'm sure, 
about this, like debunking the Myers-Briggs, well, what I essentially talk about is these are valid things to look at. Your, your type indicator is, is valid to look at, <clears throat> but these are only tools that we employ to help us process uh, the loop. They're just tools that we employ. What this means is, in a sense, is use your opposite function. So if you test as ISFP, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm an ISFP and this is how I'm going to live my life because of it. What that means is this is how you've adapted. So you need to adapt the opposite, which would be ENTJ. So your ISFP, oh, you really like journaling. Yeah, okay, well, that's great, but that's how you've adapted. You've adapted to this introverted functioning which is healthy i'm not saying to not journal necessarily but a lot of your growth is going to be more from extroverted activities yeah you rely on feelings and how those feelings feel the sensation of those feelings and that's important that's an important uh <clears throat> perspective a lens to use when you're processing your emotional issues however if you really want to grow you need to integrate the opposite function which would be to Maybe think about your emotions abstractly and yeah, think about them. NT. And if you're a P, maybe you're you're scatterbrained and uh you know, more experiential, you know, which is great. I'm not saying not to do that, but uh also um a, a big part of your growth is gonna be in becoming more regimented. So that's one uh, ancillary idea. Another ancillary idea is just the archetypes, and they show us how to, in a sense, be more authentic, how to grow, or where we need to grow to, so we can perhaps move around. If if we liken psychological health to movement, which I think is is a pretty good way to liken it. So we liken psychological health to movement. Archetypes show us how to become more authentic, so we can move more efficiently and perhaps faster. And of course, I use this. Diagram um, We have I would say compassion up here Yeah, confidence down here This is motherly energy up here Fatherly energy Which we um, um, Which we develop through Managing our anger up here Managing our anxiety down here And then I disagree with left brain Right brain I would use this or I would just say this is analytical decision making based on principles this is deductive and over here on the right I wouldn't say right brain I think this is um, more experiential more inductive so if you're a magician let's say you're high on confidence and high on you know intuition let's just say experiential decision making uh, which is healthy, that's great. But if you want to become more integrated, if you want to be able to move more efficiently, perhaps faster, you need to integrate your king energy, which would be getting better at managing anger, specifically being more assertive with your needs and um, making decisions based on principles. Right. <clears throat> if you're over here in magician zone, you, you're probably... Um, Uh, you know, like like ADD, like just a bunch of different ideas, but it's very hard to nail yourself down and, you know, pick a certain path. 
then if you're up here in, in you know king energy you're probably more likely to be stuck you know you're beating your head against the wall here here in magician you're all, all over the place so each one needs to go towards the center we need to integrate the opposite to become to get as close to the center as we can so we can move so we can move psychologically as efficiently as possible <clears throat> so i think a second place idea here would be these adult stages of development these adult stages of separation these are markers we need to hit to develop properly based on who we are based on our humanity these are markers we need to hit to develop properly Ultimately, what they do is they show us what our core needs are. This is what any kind of stage of development theory is supposed to show. Like, what are your core needs? Is your core need to get along with your mother-in-law? No, <clears throat> that's not your core need. Now, if you work on your core needs, uh, uh, you will have, as a result of that, the best possible relationship with your mother-in-law. <clears throat> as I said, that's possible. <clears throat> But that's not your core need. And what adult stages of development, separation, growth, whatever, they show us our core need. You know, it, everybody talks about needs and it's important because ultimately our psychological issues come down to not getting our needs met. But we, we can talk about needs all, all we want, but unless we identify what those needs are fundamentally, and unless we identify how to get those needs met, in a fundamental way by looking at our emotions we'll get to it then it's you know we're just going to be dealing with ancillary issues you know like love languages like love languages is all about oh this is how i need to experience love yeah and i you know i think there's some truth to that i mean some people need words of affirmation some people need gifts you know in a relationship and sure if you're in a relationship you know read that book whatever do those exercises uh but i don't see relationships fall apart because they're you're not expressing your love you're, you're not getting your love language met or whatever you're not expressing a love language properly to your wife or husband that's not why that's not why you get divorced. That's not why you're unhappy. You're unhappy because you're in a relationship and you have failed to fully initiate yourself in each of the stages of development of separation that lead up to a relationship. That's why you're going to get divorced. So there's other stage theories, right? Uh, these are ones that I really like. Erickson, Jung. Uh, there's also Piaget, but that's more of childhood cognitive development and that's more descriptive rather than normative and i don't mean by when i say normative i don't mean normal i mean what we should do what we aspire to do so these are ericsson's and there's a you know there's a lot, lot of stages here and these are all helpful and you'll see i'll use some of these terms in my stage theory i think a lot of this is correct i, I think it gets too specific and a lot of it's really not applicable in the clinic so I want to make my stage theory like Erickson's, but more focused on issues that, you know, specifically arise in the clinic when you're working with a therapist. And then there's Jung's stage theory. This is more, you know, it's less de definitive than Erickson's or Piaget's. Um, and also it just tends to be more descriptive rather than, again, like Piaget normative. So I, I kind of want to, my combination here is specificity from Erickson. I like Jung's overview here. I mean, I'll take a lot from what, what he what he says about dying and, and old age. 
but I also want to base it on my clinical observation. What I see, the issues that I see come up over and over again. So I get my um, six stages here again, parent, work, friends, sexuality, relationships, generativity. Also, I base this on Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. Um, can you see that? My face might be in the way. But I really like Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, which, of course, a lot of it's based on uh, stuff that Yin wrote down. And he said, look, every story, every story that we like, it has a definite structure. Why does it have a definite structure? Because it shows us humans what we need to do to grow. And since we're all the same, we all essentially have the same psychologies, essentially. The stages we need to go through to learn and to grow and to pass on, to initiate ourselves into the next stage of adult development, it's, it's right there in front of you in, in every story that we know and love. So I would put my parent separation there at the first act break. This is when you cross from the old world into the new world of the unconscious, the known to the unknown. That is your break from your parents. Your work and friends is down here. You know, like the fun and games. If, if, if you watch a movie, if you watch a, a trailer for a movie, a lot, most of the trailer will be from this part of the movie. You're learning how to work. You're learning how to get along with friends. And there's an abyss. This is when life really gets serious. You realize, oh, this separation from the parents, all the fun I was having here, there's actually something serious to this story there's something serious to my life and then from here we get to sexuality which is seizing the sword if you want to go back to joseph campbell's steps and then emotions relationship i use those terms interchangeably and then generativity so you take everything that you learned throughout the unknown through the separation from your parents to get you into the unknown i.e your unconscious and everything that you learned through the journey in your unconscious well that's not good enough you got to take what you learned and bring it back to your conscious to your consciousness you need to learn how to integrate it symbolically that means passing it on to the next generation generativity so why do adult stages of development matter? I'm going to move my face over here. Um, how do I minimize? Yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll figure that out, that out later. Why do adult stages matter? Um, well, if you have a problem in a certain stage, it may help to uh, go back and work on your previous stage. I'll do that. may help to go back and work on your previous stage. Right, so typically, I mean, these are just common problems that I see. If there's a problem in your relationship, there's really not a problem in your relationship. It's because you have not uh, developed a, a healthy expression of your sexuality. And those problems are now coming up in your relationship. Like if there's a problem with work, go back to separation from your parents. Probably, you know, what typically happens is issue with our father or some authority figure. They come up and we, we take these issues that we have with our father and we project them onto our boss. And that's where the problem comes from. It's really not a problem with work at all. It's a problem with separated from our parents or, you know, similar. Uh, if you have a problem with work, you know, you know, maybe you got into a profession just to, to make your parents happy. So is that really a problem with work or the profession? No, it's a problem with the validation issue that's now that, that you just kind of glossed over when you left for college because it didn't really seem to affect you. But now it's really beginning to affect you.
same thing with sexuality, you know, uh, difficulty expressing yourself in a sexual way, in a healthy way, typically go back to uh, issues we have with our parents. Um, and then if there's a problem with generativity, well, maybe you have a, a difficult time passing on lessons to the next generation because you never really work through the issues that you have with a career or work and, you know, in general. You know, the same thing with child development. Like, we all know this, right? So if a child is having problems uh, in adolescence, in early adolescence, did the problem arise there? No, typically what is, like, there's a problem that that happened before, maybe when the child was seven, and now it is coming up, it is manifesting in early adolescence. When you have a problem in childhood, in these childhood stages of development, it's not, the problem is does not originate at the stage where the problem is. You have to go back to the previous stage and say, well, what happened? What happened that we just kind of glossed over? Now that the child hits puberty and it aggravates the issue that the child had when he was seven. Let's go back and work on that issue. And it's the same thing with your adult stages of development. I made this graph, which is not my face over here, which is not which is kind of strange, but I like to think of your adult stages of development like this. Um, this is like a, a container. And, and your goal in life is to fill up this container with your libidinal energy. This is Aquarius pouring the water. You, you want to fill this up. If you fill up this container, you have a full life, let's just say. But... You come into this world and there's a lot of holes in this container representative of holes in your boundary. So I have, you know, some little clip right here. <laughs> so you have a hole for your parents. This is lame, but you put it here, right? And <clears throat> if there's holes with your parents, then water is going to drip out the bottom. So it doesn't matter how much action you take by pouring libidinal energy into your container it represents your life, your ego, yourself, it's going to drip out the bottom. So what you need to do is solidify. This is how you transcend each stage. You need to solidify any holes you have in your boundary with your parents. So when you pour energy on work, let's say, it doesn't just trickle down and drip out the bottom here. You know, same thing with sexuality. A lot of guys, we'll pour a lot of our energy onto sexuality. Oh, I got to get a girlfriend. Oh, I got to get laid, all this stuff. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, it's like the myth of Sisyphus, right? You just keep pushing this boulder up in the hill and it comes right back down. And right back down means, well, you haven't separated from your parents or maybe you're just doing work to make other people happy or you really don't know how to have healthy friendships with with uh, other guys. So I don't care how much energy you pour on the sexuality or trying to meet girls. It's going to be in vain because the water is going to trickle back down and come out, you know, the holes you have with friends, the holes you have with work, the holes you have with parents, Right. You know, very common, the guy will talk to a girl and he'll feel really good. And yeah, like he'll have confidence for the next few days. 
But after a few days, he'll just talk himself out of it and he's just going to feel like crap again. Yeah, you did the right thing. You know, you, you, you poured the water onto your sexual. Yeah, onto your sexuality stage. You took your libidinal energy and put it there, but you didn't have the sense of self to hold it. So it trips out the bottom. So we need to solidify our boundary at each level through healthy communication. So then when we do, you know, put energy into making friends, it actually sticks. It makes sense. And then a note on um, separation. Yeah, I could call this my adult stages of development, um, adult stages of connection perhaps, but I, I would call them, at least in this presentation, adult stages of separation. A separation is a connection, or it will be the result of a connection. Well, that doesn't make sense. How we, You're talking about separation and connection at the same time, that this is... This is strange. Yeah, I get it. It means it's it's uh, something that sounds strange, but <clears throat> what what we want here is a clean break, right? There's a di difference between I say down here separation versus a disconnection. I do not want you to disconnect. I use the term separation as a clean break. You repair any points of attachment, so the separation is natural and healthy. What we want is interdependence. So let's say with your family, with your parents, you, you want the ability to be independent from them while also being able to form a connection with them when it suits you. So interdependence as opposed to independence, I have a negative sign, the negative connotation of that, which is ultimately codependence, right? I don't want you to just, uh, oh, I, there's all these problems I have with my family. I'm just going to move away, go to college, and I'm never going to talk to my dad again because of how he hurt me. Well, that's actually codependence, right? Because it is ultimately the result of your avoidance of issues that you have with your father and try to go back and create a healthy connection with your father after that. And it's not going to work. And maybe it doesn't matter because you don't want a healthy connection with your father. Anyways, you may not want a healthy connection with him, but you will want a healthy connection with your own family. If you do decide to form one or your friends or your boss, at some point you're going to want a healthy connection and you don't want any, uh, yeah, the imagery I use here is frayed neurons, right? Think of, so you have a resentment issue, you know, just very typical. Let's go back to the father, a very typical example. Your father abused you in some way, physical, emotional abuse. Now, of course, you're not responsible for that issue, especially if it happened when you were a child. It's not your fault. It's not your responsibility, not even a little bit. Uh, but when your child, but when your uh, father abused you, he gave you an issue. And now that it's your issue, you are responsible for that issue. So in order to fully separate from your father, you can't just not see him anymore because you still have that resentment. So now there's going to be, you know, a, a lack of quality communication along your anger channel, so to speak. That issue was with you, and now it's going to come up with your work, with, with you know, with your girlfriend, with your boss, with your friends, with your family. If you if you ever have a family, you know, very similar. So I it's, think of a brain surgery, the brain surgery analogy. 
could we do a brain transplant now, given our current level of technology? Yeah, of course we could, right? I mean, it would it wouldn't work. I mean, but we could literally take somebody else's brain and and put it in your skull. You know, we have to get in there with a, an ice cream scoop or something, but we could do it. It wouldn't work. We put it in your skull. It's not like you're going to be reanimated like Frankenstein's monster, but we could technically do it. And that's how a lot of us think we separate from our parents is now you got to go in there and, and look at each nerve ending and properly cauterize each nerve ending, but not cauterize it too much. You know, we don't know. We don't have this technology yet to do this. But but you need to separate each nerve ending in a healthy way. So if you want to put your brain back in somebody else's skull, you could reconnect those neurons if you needed to. That would be a proper brain transplant. Very much like in the first episode of Season 3 in Star Trek, Spock's brain, this is what happens. This civilization uses Spock's brain to, in a sense, run it. In a sense, run their civilization. I mean, this is a great episode. It's It's underrated a lot of great implications here philosophical psychological implications about what makes a healthy society you know the proper dynamic between men and women but essentially this society because it's so advanced well it's actually not advanced but it uses knowledge from a previous advanced civilization to take spock's brain out of his skull without damaging spock at all and they use that brain to run their civilization and Bones is able to put the brain back in because he's able to have you know, take this knowledge on for a, a specific amount of time so he can do this brain surgery. Uh, did that help at all? Oh, it didn't? It's just making everything more confusing? Okay. Wow. Focus on a healthy separation, not a disconnection. There's probably, yeah, we're going to get into more examples, so if it doesn't really make much sense now, don't worry about it. Okay, so let's look at stage one, parent separation. I'm going to go through each of these stages in the same way. You will see with this one. So the fundamental question of this stage is, do you have the right to exist apart from your parents? Psychologically, physically, monetarily, do you have the right to exist? Are you able to exist without your parents? The value here that you learn is interdependence or the positive connotation of independence. Being able to be separate from your parents, not have emotional issues that you have about your parents affect you now and different relationships that you have, but also the ability to connect with your parents in as healthy way as you possibly can. And you do it for your own sake, not for theirs. So the challenge here is to, you know, this is the main one, is to be responsible for your emotions that you have about your parents. Understand that any resentment that you have towards your parents, again, go back to the issue of your dad abusing you, of, of, of hurting you psychologically, physically. That put resentment in your psychological boundary, if you're going to be technical about this. I'm sorry, but that's not your dad's issue anymore. It's your issue. It's your responsibility to manage that issue, even though you're, of course, 100% not responsible for getting beat up by your dad when you were seven years old. 
And ultimately, I mean, not to spoil it, but yeah, you will see that any negative emotion that you have towards your parents is ultimately a negative emotion you have towards yourself because of your inability to resolve the issue your parents gave you. This is the challenge. The challenge, one way to do this is to be transparent with your parents, to be honest about any negative emotions you have towards them and do it in a healthy way while ultimately taking responsibility for those negative emotions. And if you're not there yet, you're probably not. This is why we have therapy to get us to that point, to get us to that psychological plinth from which transparency with parents is going to happen and it's not going to turn into some yelling match. And if it does turn into a yelling match, that's fine. We know how to go back and talk through that if it does happen that way. And I think it's going to, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just only bad or negative in a certain context. If you don't know how to manage fights when they happen, right? Why do we have fights? Why do we learn how to fight? So we can learn how to make up. So we can learn how to work on our issues to get us through those fights. So that's the challenge for this stage is to do those things. So the signs that you're stuck at this stage is, you know, like I've indicated before, negative patterns with parents play out in other areas of your life. If, if you just have this submission complex with your dad, you, you when you walk into a situation with work, with your boss who has more status than you, you're just going to automatically submit to him and become resentful towards him like you do or like you have with your father. Same thing with friends. Could, could be the same thing with the girlfriend, husband. I often see over-involvement in politics. This is often us taking our issues out on our parents. I think it's a moral uh, <clears throat> moral imperative for us to not, yeah, well, to pay attention to politics. I mean, politics is always going to be a, an important part of life, but to just focus on your personal politics, you know, how you relate with other people. That's, I would consider that a moral imperative. But it doesn't matter if, if even if you agree with me, you're still going to do it. If there's issues that you have there with your father, you, you will seek to avoid looking at how painful those issues are by saying, oh, look at what Trump did or look at what this other guy did from this other party. I don't care what your politics are. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. It, it, it's uh, it's not what your politics are, it's the perspective you take to political issues. That's ultimately what matters. Yeah, so, uh, you know, parents often represent authority, and do you deal with authority through either rebellion or submission, both unhealthy? They, they look different. They, they look different on the surface, but ultimately stem from the same issue, which is inability to communicate. And I don't know, I just threw in this example of a sign that you're stuck at this parent stage. Is you, when you find a girl or if you're going to find a guy, can you bring him home to mom or dad? Will your, you know, implicitly will your parents approve of a girl that you bring home? Why does, why does that matter? I think a lot of us unconsciously go out and do something like that. No, it's not wrong if your parents do approve, of course, but if that's the main reason why you go out looking, or when you go out looking for a dude or a chick, could be an issue. So positive markers that you work through the stages, you could probably figure this out. Comfort with parents, no need to hide around them. There's very minimal tension. Um, you, you, This is a good one. You observe your parents' issues as if they were the issues of another adult. Right? So if your mom has an issue, 
you know, being passive aggressive. People are passive aggressive all the time. You know, there's a lot of 63 year old ladies out there who are passive aggressive. And whenever a 63 year old lady is passive aggressive, it really doesn't bother you that much. Probably. In fact, it probably happens to you and you don't even notice because it doesn't freaking matter. But when your mom does it, it bothers you. Because unconsciously what you do is you say, oh, I have my anxiety issues now. I have my communication issues now because of my mom's anxiety issues, you know, as, as they present to her the passive aggressiveness. That's why it bothers you. So you can observe your mom or dad having any of these issues and you go, oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, look at that. Thankfully, I've worked through that myself. Yes, that gave me an issue at some point. Of course it did. But I've worked through that issue myself. It doesn't bother me anymore. I can kind of laugh at it. And, and there's like no pressure around calling my mom out on it when I need to. Like if she's being ridiculous to a waiter at a restaurant, that there, there's no tension, right? There's no pressure around calling her out. You just go, mom, stop. It's fine. We got it. You know, you don't have to shut down and get super resentful and then, and then you know, have that happen three more times. And then on the fourth day of your visit, when you're visiting from Thanksgiving, then you have this huge blow up because your mom did something small. She's like, what? I just did this small thing. And, it's not about that and how do you communicate through that and then i heard this term from a client this past week steel oh it's not the first time you heard steel man right it's the opposite of straw man straw man in somebody's argument you steel man and you, you what is the best case that you can make for the opposition's argument and you do that with your parents right like yeah you you're right your dad your mom they have their issues um but, you know, like to, and to kill a mockingbird, you got to walk around somebody else's shoes to, to really know what they're going through. And can you do that with your mom and dad? It's tough. And it doesn't matter how smart you are and how many times you read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or how great of a book you think that is. It's if you have these emotional issues around your parents, it's going to be impossible. But a good place to start is to, you know, I think a great way to steel man your parents. Well, yeah, form a better connection with them to whatever extent that's going to be healthy for you. But, but a specifically a great way to go about doing that is to learn facts. Learn as m many facts as you can about your parents. You know, just talk with them. You know, we speak of uh, talking through emotions here as outlined by the emotional diagrams. You know, my fun foundational issue to what I do here to this channel, the Animus, Talk about facts, feelings, why you have emotions, responsibility. But the flip side of that is, or, or a part of emotional regulation is, you listen. You listen to somebody else talk about facts in their life, about emotions they have about those facts, why they have those emotions, you know, right down the line. This is what you do with your parents. But in my experience working with people, just learning facts, just, just, <clears throat> You know, something as simple as calling your dad once a week and, and uh, finding out one fact about him that you didn't know previously is can go a long way, surprisingly a long way. Okay, so stage two, this is work. By the way, the, the parent separation, that is going to be, it's the first stage of separation and it's the most fundamental. You get that right and all of these other ones pretty much fall into place. Pretty much. Not 100%. Then there's some tricky ones here. Sexuality can be tough, but I think works. Uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna include it, but I don't think it's 
going to be that difficult for most of us, especially when we can do the first stage of separating from our parents. So the fundamental question here is, do you have the right to exist apart from your work? Now, of course, you want to work and you want to be productive, but do you still have the right to exist apart from that? Of course you do. We all get that objectively, but emotionally, I don't know. Until we learn to separate from our work, it's going to be difficult difficult for us to see that. The value you learn here is productivity. Again, that's from Erickson. So the challenge is, you know, very simply, have an interest and active engagement with your development of this interest. Preferably um, something that you're interested in adulthood, connected with something that you naturally excelled at when you were at least an adolescent. Now, I think that's very easy to, for, for, I'd be pretty, I've never seen, when, when you put the question in that context, I've never seen anybody have a difficult time fighting out what that is. And then I think the next step in the challenge is able to live off the interest or at least have a plan through which you will actually make money from this. I, I think that's an important part of connecting something fundamental about who you are to other people. How do you engage with, how do you negotiate with other people in order to live your life based on a, something that's an interest to you and you may have some proclivity for? So signs you're stuck here is, you know, classic workaholism. You got to work to feel good enough. And look, I'm, I'm a big, I'm from the Midwest. I like working hard. But if you're working for the, purpose of feeling good enough, then that's workaholism. I like drinking, but if you're drinking to cover up negative emotions, that's uh, alcoholism, or at least a drinking problem. You need external validation through your work. A great example of this I have there. The third point is you need some external boundary or a deadline from outside of you to get you to work hard. And if you set your own boundaries, your own deadlines, you just kind of push them off and say, oh, it's just me. It's no big deal. That's a sign you're stuck here. That's a sign you're really not doing something that interests you or you're really not doing something you have a proclivity for. Usually, not all the time, but usually you're just doing something because it's what your dad or your mom wants you to do. Or they say, hey, this will be a good career. Or you you project that this is what society wants me to do. And that's your main motivation for doing something like being a doctor. Oh, well, if I'm a doctor, then I'll have, you know, a lot of high status. But if you're just being a doctor to have high status, then you don't really want to be a doctor. So it's, it's going to be very exhausting for you. And, and of course, you're going to succumb to workaholism because you don't even feel good enough to choose your own career. In a sense, society needs to choose your career for you. You're going to constantly be working to justify your existence to, to other people. So another sign you're stuck here, I guess it goes along with the third one, is you do well in a structure but poorly on your own. You know, where's the structure, right? That there's an internal structure that we need to develop. And positive markers is you're able to spend time alone comfortably, enjoy extroversion and introversion, and, you know, ultimately self-imposed deadline has same gravity as an external deadline. Um, actually, I think the enjoy extroversion introversion one, let's delete that here. I'm, I'm going to add it to 
the next stage on friends. Fundamental question here is, do you have the right to exist without friends? Of course, you know you do, but do you really feel it? That's what we work through on this stage. The challenge is friendship with people of the same sex or opposite sex if you're gay without dominance or submission. Friendship, in a sense, based on shared interests, not insecurity like, oh, I got to hang out with this person because they're cool. And if I hang out with them, then I'm going to be more cool. You know, which is what you do in seventh grade. And that's great for seventh grade, but we got to work through that. Yeah, you don't feel the need to dominate anybody or submit to them. Or, you know, the flip side of I got to hang out with this person because they're cool is I got to hang out with this person because they're a loser and I need to help them. Now, you know, there's some gray area in there. I get it. Like if you just want to like help somebody out that you may need to do that. Maybe if, if that's what you want to do. But if that becomes the theme for hanging out with people, then I would submit that you lack healthy boundaries with friends. Signs you're stuck here is it's difficult to be honest with friends. All right, you'd rather disconnect than communicate, than separate. You know, great example of this. Yo, well, yeah, I mentioned I'm just going to have more examples to explicate, to illustrate the disconnection versus separation is you know, like, like Twitter bros say all the time. Oh, you're, you're the product of your five closest friends. So if there's somebody in your life who, you know, is smoking too much pot or playing too many video games, just disconnect them from your life. Just don't hang out with them anymore. No, that, that's a sign that you can't be honest with your friends. It's not a healthy boundary. You're disconnecting. You're not separating. The issue there isn't your friend is smoking a lot of pot and, and, um, playing a lot of video games. The issue there is you friends. You decided to become friends on some level with a guy who could uh, subvert his life to smoking a lot of pot and playing video games. That's a reflection of you. And you're afraid of what that reflects or what that could mean about you. So you just want to disconnect. But of course, in disconnecting, you fail to address the is failed to address the issue you had that led to you making friends with this guy who was ultimately had these unconscious issues, which is fine. So, you know, nothing negative about this guy. I, I think you, you'd still be friends with him. Just be honest with him. Say, look, buddy, you're, you're smoking a lot of hot playing video games. This, this is disconcerting to me. What's going on? Let's talk about it. Relate with him because you have the same issues that he has. Maybe not to the same degree, but you do. And if you don't, don't separate properly and just disconnect that lack of communication you will bring into whatever your next friendship is and it will only aggravate itself from there. You're not the product of your five friends. You're the product of your relationship with your five friends, the quality of those relationships. Now, what tends to happen is if you have a guy who's not a good situation for you, you know, smoking a lot of pot and you communicate with him well, what happens is either he doesn't want to be friends with you anymore or he, you know, it helps him solidify his boundary. It's not why you're doing it. You're doing it to help you with your boundary. But the relationship automatically changes. I mean, what a, a, a travesty that, you know, uh, and, and and a sign of the attachment disorder that, that we think that this is totally normal. If you have a buddy who's not doing well, you just disconnect with him because it's bad for you. It's not even bad for you. What's bad for you is your inability to communicate. 
Another sign you're stuck here is you use status to hurt others or lack of it to hurt others. You know, you know, just so just that situation of if you're in a room, you know, at a dinner party, whatever, and somebody makes a lot of money, do you feel some unconscious need to submit to him or to subvert him, to destroy him in some way or vice versa? If you know that you make a lot more money than somebody else or a lot more successful sexually, do you use that status, so to speak, to hurt him or to, to lord it over him or to belittle him in some way? Or do you use it to help him in any way you can? And generally, fear of what your friends might think. Positive markers that you've worked through this is same level of comfort, alone or with people, introversion, extroversion. Neither feel the need to submit or destroy. Right. So when it's like, oh, yeah, we get to go hang out with people. Great. Let's, let's go to this dinner party or let's have people over for a Christmas party. And then when people leave or you go home, do you say, oh, this is good, too. Now I get to spend time alone. But, you know, both. Both are, are good signs. All right. Stage four, sexuality. Another one that a lot of us get tripped up at because. As Freud indicated, sexuality is important. It's an important part of who we are psychologically. We need to come to terms of it if we're going to have healthy relationships, you know, with the opposite sex. And the fundamental question here is, do you have the right to exist if you're undesirable to the opposite sex? That's a tricky one. You know, that's tough. The challenge, well, the challenge for men is to develop the idea of the kind of woman that you want in your life know where to find her, then you talk with her. You go and talk to a woman like that and you get rejected. Are, are you okay with that rejection? That's the challenge. Can you express your sexuality in a healthy pro-social way to a woman that you like or a woman who you think you would like? And are you able to be rejected? Any complaint, any criticism I see of modern culture, online dating, you know, dating apps, Tinder, all the modern complaints that men have of women or dating culture or whatever are completely subverted, are completely overturned when you can do what I say there in those two lines. What kind of woman do you want? Okay, you know what kind of woman you want. Where do you go find her? Where is she most likely to be? And then do you go and talk with women who are there? And then when they reject you, is that okay? When you do that, what's going on in culture, it doesn't matter anymore. Your complaints about culture, you think it makes you look more masculine, but to people who are initiated, or to people who at least try to be initiated, know how to be initiated and at least work on this consciously, even if we're not fully through this, you look like... You look like a silly little girl. You look effeminate. That, that's really what it is. I don't mean feminine. Feminine would be good. Feminine would be an, a healthy expression of your feminine side. You want to do that. That's healthy emotional expression. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about effeminate. You look effeminate. You are effeminate. Now, the challenge for women here is very similar, just but rather than to be rejected is you reject well. Are you able to reject men? Can you be, you know, uh, 
like bristly. If you're in a situation with a guy who you don't really want to be in a situation in, you're getting quote bad vibes from him. Can you say no? I saw the clip of uh, Joe Biden a couple of weeks ago, and I guess this is from a while ago. And and he and he met this girl. I think she's college age, and her dad was there. You know, very strange situation. And when he meets her, he goes, and he does this thing that I learned about in college. Uh, this. Uh, frat guy told me total bro intelligence and it totally ended up being true but it's this thing he called the kiss test um but joe biden did this thing to this girl where as soon as he met her he touched her hair he touched the back of her head like her hair you know creepy joe being creepy i'm not saying that that uh, joe biden's a pedophile or he's a creepy guy you know he excuses it as like you know he's just being affectionate no this is not affectionate this is a very deliberate touching of, of somebody else. And for a woman to get through that stage is if a powerful politician or a powerful man like Joe Biden, when he touches you in that way, you go, Ugh. you know, you just take a step back. You know, like, like instant you like just you react physically. You don't just sit there and go, oh, everything's OK. Can you reject? Are you able to reject? Then it's can you be rejected? Woman, are you able to reject. I guess I mentioned this because this young woman, this college age woman, she did reject him well and she did this like instant uh this instant recoil. It's so funny. I mean, you know, kind of disturbing because you wonder. But anyways, I have kiss tests there there, because this is what I learned from a, a, a frat guy, a college bro intelligence is the kiss test is if you're not sure if a woman wants to kiss you what you do is you touch the back of her hair like that and if she doesn't recoil or turn away it's that means it's okay to kiss her and it ends up working out 100 percent. i think it's you know it's uh when you when you have anxiety around women or working through these issues you don't want to kiss a girl because you don't want to be rejected because that's the the most terrible thing to happen right if you're still working through the stage um, if if you have worked through this stage, you want to be rejected. You know, you want to go in for the kiss and be rejected. That's part of the fun. Um, but it's a lot easier to be rejected if you put her put your hand up to her her back of her hair like that, or back of her head, and kind of just um, you know touch her hair in a you know caressing kind of way. That sounds lame, but it works. And it, it turns out to be 100% effective. I, I think it's more because you can kind of sense when it's okay to touch a girl's. But you know, you're not just going to walk up to a girl and touch the back of her head or hair like Biden did in that one situation. But you just start to get a sense. And you feel more comfortable touching your hair than kissing her. But you know that when you touch the back of her hair, then you're able to kiss her. Yeah, it ends up being 100% true. But I put this here because woman... If you're a woman and you want to work through this issue, if a guy t- touches the back of your hair and you don't want him to, you don't just you're not just pretending to be cool for the sake of being cool. Right. So you, yeah, in the sense, what you do is you just take your sexuality, express it in a way that's socially appropriate, and hand over the rejection of this. I talked before about if you go and talk to a girl, there's this look of disappointment on her face that she can give you. Um, it's very difficult to replicate. I, I tried to find a picture of it online because it'd be funny, but it, it just doesn't do it justice. This doesn't uh, the horror of this face doesn't these pictures online don't do that horror justice. Um, 
And can a woman give you that look and can, are you still okay? Now you may not like it, but do you still have the right to exist if a woman gives you that look? This is the challenge here. So signs you're stuck here is approach anxiety negatively affects you. Of course, it's always going to be scary talking to women. Women are scary, but do you use it to, uh, you know, give you more energy or does it negatively affect you? feel like you need women to attract women, you know, spin plates. So classic example of guys being stuck here is they find they're more attractive to women if they're already dating women, which is true. I mean, that's a true observation. But if you work through the stage, you could be dating zero women and you still have that ability to attract because it doesn't matter anymore because a woman's, you don't need a woman's validation to feel validated. Another sign that you're stuck here is relationships just kind of fizzle out after the honeymoon phase. Uh, And then, no, I take that back. I think that's more of a sign that you're stuck at the next stage of development. We'll get to it. Let me take this out to prove the point. Yeah, so never mind this. This would be a sign that you don't know how to communicate well emotionally. And you blame opposite sex for your problem. That's another sign that you're stuck here. Yeah, I mean, I knew that I was through this stage, or mostly through this stage. You know, again, we're we're all working on all these stages all the time. But you do get to a place where, you know, with parent separation, you've mostly worked on those issues. There's still going to be some uncomfortable things that come up between you and your parents. They, you know, come over to visit and they're annoying, whatever. But you're mostly through those issues. But I, I, yeah, I, I think I was... I realized I was mostly through this stage, not because I was doing super well with women, because, but I got to the place where I could just be alone on a Friday night and not feel like I was a loser. Not feel like, oh, I got to go out with a girl because if I'm not out with a girl, then I'm, I'm a loser or, you know, whatever. Just that neediness, you know, that desperation, that that need for validation, however slight it was, it was just gone. It didn't matter anymore. And then positive markers, comfort with a woman's rejection. Again, can you handle that look? And as I think I said before, you don't need a woman's validation to feel validated. Like an ice cream cone, right? Or a protein bar. Um, you have a sweet workout and you go to the, the store to get a protein bar. Or you come home and you're like, I'm going to have an awesome, I'm going to have a protein bar. It's going to be sweet. But you realize, oh, you're out of protein bars. It's too bad, but you're not going to lose sleep over it. Okay, well, I'll just go order more protein bars on Amazon. It's not the end of the world. I'll I'll get protein in some other way. I'll have an extra couple eggs, you know, when I make eggs later. I'll be fine. It's nice to have the protein bar. It's nice. And you want it so much that you're still going to go after it, but if you don't get it, it's okay. okay. Okay, stage five. Emotions, i.e. relationships. Fundamental question is, do you have the right to exist in a relationship? Do you have the right to express emotions? Does your emotional life have the right to exist in a relationship? And the value here is romantic connection. The challenge here is to express emotions in a healthy way, exactly how we outline, or, and yet in the, the fundamental idea behind this channel. Emotions have a specific structure. Because of that, we express them in a very particular way. There's a thousand different ways to express emotions, but only one of those is healthy. 
So you take your emotions, you express it in a way that's socially appropriate for the situation in your relationship, and if it's rejected, can you handle the rejection of it? And the flip side of that is, can you listen to the emotions of a significant other? Pretty simple. It's basically taking the fundamental idea behind that what I do here and doing it in the confines of, your, of a romantic relationship. So signs you're stuck here is you're playing chess in a relationship. You know, this is like classic game technique, which, you know, there may be some wisdom to using it in the first five or 10 days with a woman playing chess, playing games, testing, you know, testing to see what she really, whether she really likes you or what she's really about. Um, but after a certain point, after she passes those tests, if you're still doing that, you know, you're three in a relationship, then it's, you know, going to be exhausting. Like I said, there another sign that you're stuck in this age is relationships are exhausting. Like a lot of guys, I think they're, they're resistant to meeting women, not because they're afraid of the woman's rejection so much. I mean, that may be part of it, but best case scenario, the woman likes them. And now they're in a relationship with the woman and all of their past experiences, all their past reference points of, of, of uh, relationships have been, Oh, well, this is exhausting because I'm constantly trying to hide and prevaricate and, you know, play chess. And if I do this, she's going to do that, but I'm not going to do that. Then it's exhausting. So really you avoid women because you want to avoid relationships because you don't know how to communicate emotions well. And so positive markers here is there's no Madonna whore dichotomy. You know, you, you feel sexually attracted to a woman who you connect with emotionally or emotional connection naturally begets sexual expression. I kind of have there as a joke, like sex dreams of your wife, like you're fantasizing about having sex with your wife. You know, you're still attracted to other women. You can under, understand that, but you have an emotional connection with somebody that's, you know, goes beyond just physical markers. Okay. And then stage six, I, I mean, this emotional stage, this emotional relationship stage, just go back here. I mean, this is, can be a lot to work through. I kind of just gave that a short shift. It seemed like it, it can be difficult to work through, but, but simply put, it comes down to how well you can express emotions in the context of a relationship. How well can you do what the ultimate goal of therapy is? How well can you do that in the context of a relationship with a significant other spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend? All right. And then the final stage, generativity, are you able to welcome death? Do you have integrity in the face of death? Challenge is to give to next generation what you do not receive or what you have not received throughout the previous five stages of your adult development. That's the challenge here. So let's say your father abused you. He gave you that issue and you've worked on it. You've worked through it. You've managed that resentment. Good for you. Maybe another way for you to manage it is to have a son or at least be a mentor to somebody like a son. This doesn't have to be your literal children, of course. It often is for people. And you are able to bestow on your son a life that you were unable to have in a sense. It, not abuse your son in the same way that your father abused you. 
at least give him a better life than you had. That's that's one way through it. Or you're a late bloomer, let's say. And maybe there's just some scar tissue from that, psychological scar tissue from that, and there's really no getting over it. Well, maybe one way of getting over it, maybe you were a late bloomer because your dad really never talked to you about women and you didn't know what to do, so you're just afraid of them or you just said, oh, women are trouble. Uh, you know, just um, worry about your school and your work and women will follow from there. I mean, that's true to some degree, but you still need to focus on women. That's an important part of life. So maybe what you do there to help you work through it is to talk with your son more openly about women. And, hey, do you like any girls at school? Oh, okay, well, how are you going to ask her out? It's, you know, like these things are normal things to talk about. Making your son more comfortable with them, and that's maybe one way to work through it. Or maybe with work, right? Like, okay, so you spent uh, years in a dead-end job. Uh, you weren't really progressing or getting promoted because it's ultimately a job that you didn't really want. You wanted it because you thought, well, it, you know, it, this gets so messed up because it's your mom may have not even cared what you did. You just projected that your mom cared what you did and you never talked about it. So you're just stuck in this dead-end job because of this projection you have of your mom or your dad. It just becomes insane. Okay, well, guess what? You're not getting those years back. And that may be painful. But one way to work through that would be to, you know, just be more open with your son or your daughter about, oh, what do you want to do? Or, hey, anything you want to do, it's fine. Or what are you thinking about? Just open up those channels of communication more. And that is how you do this. You give to the next generation what you did not receive. So you didn't receive something from the previous generation, from your parents, either, either in the form of abuse or neglect. You, that gave you an issue. That gave you an emotional issue. You managed that emotional issue, and now that puts you in a place where you can give in eff effectively what you did not receive. Signs that you're stuck here is fear of old age and death, grief of a life unlived. Positive markers, um, able to process your regrets, you know, maybe nothing concrete, but um, identify an issue that led to a regret. Okay, so you, you regret that you were a late bloomer. Uh, is that, don't regret that, but just maybe you regret the anxiety that you had and you've worked on that anxiety, so now you're able to navigate that issue here and now. Anyhow, uh, again, a positive marker, this is all implied, but you overcome limitations through the next generation. In a sense, what you cannot change about yourself, again, there's just, and that's that's real, right? Like our parents can abuse us and there's scar tissue there and there's really nothing that we can do about it. We're never going to go back to square one. But I think the way that you ultimately go back to square one is you bestow that lesson on the next generation. Deathbed serenity. You know, Jung says, I think he says this very well, as he says, the goal of life is to die. He says it very simply. The goal of life is to die. Now, what he means is to die well, but I think it's, you know, I think that there's something poetic and more meaningful there when he says simply the goal of life is to die. And so the conclusion here is <clears throat> working through our psychological issues, you know, these challenges that we have with our psychological issues, like, it, it's it's supposed to be challenging. It's supposed to be difficult. That's all normal. But if it's exhausting, 
if working through these challenges is exhausting, then I would challenge you. Maybe you are pouring your libidinal energy onto a stage where you're not quite ready to pour that energy. Could be one thing to look at. If you're, if you're having a problem right now, even a little bit of a problem, and you're trying to work on the problem directly, like go back to my initial example with your mother-in-law, I'm trying to go back, you know, trying to work on that directly. Uh, okay, do that. And talk about those issues specifically in therapy. Uh, but it may help to go back and ask yourself, okay, when did these issues with my mother-in-law first come up? Not with her, but when have I felt this way in the past? What could this ultimately be about? So psychological issues, again, they're going to be difficult, but I don't think they need to be exhausting. Difficult, but fun to work through. And of course, it all begins with how anger works, how anxiety works. These are the foundational ideas. Uh, you can get my book, animusempire.com slash book. That just links to Amazon. You can get it there, Kindle or uh, paperback. And again, animusempire.com slash schedule. If you're interested in working with me or just want to find out more about what I do or just want to reach out and talk to me, I'm here to help you talk through stuff. And I'll leave it there. Thank you guys. And I wish you all the pain and joy that comes from a brutal separation.